Hi, and welcome to the podcast, You're Having Tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Neil Gaiman. It's not a normal Tea with Alice because it is the audio of the Instagram Live that I did with Neil Gaiman on the 17th of April to celebrate the release of Savage on Amazon Prime. Uh, Neil was instrumental in the commissioning of that piece because he liked Savage in the trilogy, um, the Alice Fraser trilogy, available for free. And we have a chat about that as well as various other things. I was originally going to put out the Instagram live as a video, but Neil was calling in from New Zealand on maybe not such good Wi-Fi, so his face didn't appear. Uh, I thought it would be probably a bit of a dud thing to put out a video of just my face for half an hour reacting to Neil Gaiman waxing lyrical about Savage. So I've pulled the audio and I'm putting it out as a tea with Alice now. Um, Thank you, everybody who has been watching it and and everyone's been so kind the comments have been so kind uh, people have been giving lovely ratings it's it's so <laughs> it's so nice it's so nice and i am astonished at my luck at least so far in not getting uh, particularly much uh, negativity when you put yourself out there and and this is really uh, a piece that is is close to me I feel quite vulnerable about it and to have such a positive response has been really lovely um which is to say also thank you to all of my patreon supporters you are what makes it possible for me to do what I do how I do it you made it possible when I was in the editing room arguing for things that didn't look normal like normal stand-up specials that that I could have confidence in going no that's not what I want that and they go oh this is what everyone does and I don't have to do what everyone does because of you my patreon supporters and all of you who listen to me or buy ticks to my shows when shows exist and 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 just generally are supportive you give me the the confidence and the security to be able to do this thing. So I'm going to stop waxing lyrical and let you get on with listening to me talking to Neil Gaiman about Savage from the Instagram Live that we did on the 17th of April. I'll talk to you next week. You're having tea with Alice. Hello. Oh, I think it's working. It is working. Uh, You're over in New Zealand. I am. It's it's an hour or so later here than it is where you are. That's exciting. Uh, yeah, about about two hours ahead, New Zealand, because I've been doing Inside and Alive with Laura, and she's over there in Wellington. So, yes, I'm locked down in Havelock North. I've never heard of it, but it sounds great. It is. I mean, it, it, you know, I couldn't think of anywhere nicer to be locked down um, if I could <laughs> locked down somewhere it's we're in a beautiful house high on a hill um there's a writing cave at the very top of the hill uh, amanda was there today i got to take the writing cave two days ago um it's just so beautiful here and uh, we even have chickens i mean chickens is like proper cave life Caves and chickens and everything that you could possibly want, I think. Uh, well, if you're going to be isolated away from your family and friends uh, in all directions. Um, someone says, we love you. I'm not sure whether they're talking to me or to you, but I'll take it for, for both. <laughs> it could be, could be plural. You, you get to be plural too. 
You get, yes, we all get to be plural. So uh, Savage came out today. Did you watch it or were you busy wrangling Ash? I, um, hang on, I will show you. Uh, this is how far I got in the giant watch. 47 minutes and 46 seconds. Oh. Small boy turned up who had been put to bed, I thought, relatively successfully um, an hour earlier, sort of appeared and needed to have Richard Scary read to him and needed to be fed some more because he'd been in bed so long he was now hungry. And uh, <laughs> it's very exhausting being in bed. It is. So I growled him back to sleep um, at sort of 10.28 my time and came and dialed in going, oh, I wanted to know how it ended. And of course, I kind of know how it ended because I'd heard the podcast version um, of Savage, which was what I'd originally fallen in love with. Uh, yeah, you, you're just about to get to the sad part. Someone says your face is blurry. You know. My face is blurry. I've always I said that about you. I have one of those faces, people. <laughs> the world, and they say, we wish you didn't have such a blurry face. Um, sorry about the blurry face. It's the only one I, I've got. I refuse to take responsibility for the blurry face. Uh well, anyway, uh, so yes, you did. You listened to Savage as the podcast. I was very yeah. wary about doing it on film. I, I, I'm not sure if I was very unsure of whether it would translate to the screen. It was weird. I think that the, the weirdest thing for me was listening to it as a podcast, which was how I'd first encountered it. Um when you're listening to you and your mum talking, it is seamlessly part of the podcast. You don't feel that anything has stopped for that to happen. You just feel yeah. like, you know, because you're building pictures in your head at all times, it's not like there's a missing visual track. You're just there while your mum is talking to you and you're having this conversation and then then you're back with Alice on stage while she is talking later. Um, and it was sort of stranger for me going, ah, oh, we've, got, we've got words appearing on the screen. We've got Alice standing there on the stage in semi-darkness while past Alice is talking to her mum. Um, and that, that was, I think, for me, just the strangest thing. Other than that, it was very much the, the savage story I was used to. Yeah, that was, that was the challenge because obviously I, I did it first as a live show of trying to figure out how to have, I mean, in terms of staging, I want my mom to have the first word and the last word um, and to not do anything with my face, to try and not take attention while at the same time being like hello welcome to my show that was a, an interesting thing so I did that with with the rings which are my mom's rings and by just having them come off and and on off at the beginning of the show because at the beginning of the show uh, she's still alive um 
but yeah, that was a, that was a difficult thing to figure out how to do, whether to have that kind of words and whether to have the words take over the whole screen, whether to have the whole screen go black and just, I, I actually wanted them, it, the whole show to start in darkness, but apparently yeah. the Amazon people are like, we're not in the business of selling darkness. <laughs> you know, given that it's television, I can kind of understand that. Yeah, yeah. If it were, if it were, if it were a live show and you've sat people down and they can't go anywhere, and they're there, then darkness is, um, you know, a, an appropriate thing to do to them. Yeah. Has it yeah. occurred to you that there is a, not a probability, but a possibility that this may be this, this record of you in front of a huge live audience may be the last thing that you're going to do with an actual audience who are there for quite a long time um yes that had occurred to me i i'm sort of i'm pleased that it's that if it's going to be one thing uh, then it should be that but it it makes my work very difficult because so much of my work is about engaging with the people who are in the room and and you know switching out that energy um so I find doing these things, particularly if I'm doing them solo, these Instagram lives, just talking straight to the camera, I find them much more exhausting. Just a half hour show like this, much more tiring than doing an hour show or even a three hour show in front of people because then it's a conversation and you're giving and getting back. Yeah. The, um, I mean, I've seen you live in Edinburgh, and one of the things that I loved about that was feeling that we weren't quite getting the same show that anybody else was ever going to get. There was yeah. there was genuine interaction. You were there before it started. You were there after it ended. You were making a point of interacting with people, and not just in that kind of stand-up kind of way of, you know, is anyone here from out of town? Where are you from? Anybody here getting, you know, is it anyone's special occasion? Can I, can I make fun of you, person with an interesting moustache? It wasn't any of that. <laughs> it just felt like there was a sort of a, you wanted to get to know the audience before you started telling us personal things. I was always very bad at that kind of interaction, the way you're talking to someone and trying to bring something out of them that will prompt a joke that you already have in the bank because I would always get distracted if I tried that by the person who would have something interesting to say or would do something interesting. They'd, I'd say, what do you do for a job? And they'd say, oh, I'm a systems analyst. And i go, what's that? Not like, oh, you know, I didn't ever have a punchline for that, so I was never particularly good at it. Which is, I think, one of the things I like about you as a stand-up is that you, you always feel genuinely interested. Um, I, I mean, you and I bonded originally over your podcast. Yes, your Tea with Alice. Tea with Alice. Um, which was how I got to meet you after a very strange little Andrew O'Neill-driven event where you came up to me and said, I have tea with people. I did. I said, that's my thing. I have tea with people. And then we met up and we ended up talking for like six hours, uh, which was longer than the podcast, but it was great. 
It was. I was so... I'd been making good omens at that point for what felt like three or four centuries. And uh, although it may only have been a couple of years, and I was absolutely out of spoons and was just too <laughs> tired to self-censor, too tired to pick the right thing to say, too tired to be anything other than, than sort of shatteringly honest. Uh, which made it an absolutely fantastic conversation. Yeah, I loved it. I just thought that was, you know, that's exactly what I want in a conversation. I'm, I want to talk to people, not to sort of patterns. I think a lot of people work in, in patterns. They just say the things that are the next thing, like a program. It's, I'm definitely finding right now in this sort of weird epidemic-y world, where I'm living with uh, my my wife, my four-year-old son, and our friend Xanthia, who, um, when I said to, I had, you know, asked my nanny, or Ash's nanny, if she wanted to come to New Zealand for an indeterminate amount of time on no notice. And she said, no, <laughs> she couldn't go to Woodstock to look after her parents and I'm like I get that and Xanthia happened to be standing next to her and I said do you want to come to New Zealand and she's like <laughs> so we we got a Xanthia who's been amazing um not quite sure how we would have coped if it had just been me and Amanda but well we would have coped but nothing would have got done yeah, you both work immensely hard, and it is a full-time and a half job looking after a small child. And the funny thing is, every now and again, I'll find myself doing Zoom interviews or, or whatever, and it's dangerous, because now when people say, uh, so how are you doing? They get an answer from me. They do not get the, you know, I ought to be going, well, great whatever and you don't you get you get the ups and downs of life in lockdown um you like comedy which is interesting I because your, your work is often quite dark um i think comedy is often quite dark yes that's so I true think, i think interesting comedy is often very dark um and, you know, some comedy is silly, but any really good comedy that lasts is dissecting the human heart and the human soul. And it's going by its very nature to get dark. Um, and I used to talk with Terry Pratchett about how, on the one hand, funny tends not to get awards. And it's kind of frustrating. If you write something, I can write a funny short story and I can write a very serious short story and the funny one can take just as much work as the serious one, often more work because it's actually harder to craft jokes that actually work as jokes and make people laugh 
than it is to get them to shiver with with seeing themselves represented or scare them or whatever um but the the quote unquote serious stuff is more likely to get the awards and the acclaim than the funny and i think one reason for that is that people view funny and serious as being opposites like hot and cold um you know and the truth is that the opposite of funny is not funny the opposite of serious is not serious you can absolutely be funny and be serious um for me the joy going back to the thing that was the reason for starting this attempt to talk to each other um the joy of savage is it is utterly serious and very very funny there is nothing about humor that precludes seriousness of content that precludes actually having moral weight that includes saying big and important things i think that comedians sometimes do themselves a disservice when people take them to task for something they've said by responding well it was just a joke as if that means it's unimportant it's trivial it doesn't matter um you know, everybody knows somebody who can't say the serious things except as a joke exactly um i one of the things i learned about people very learned fairly young and have then had to learn over and over again as time goes on is to listen to the things that they tell you about themselves as jokes when you first meet them because all of the stuff you know you you're hanging out with a very nice young lady and you're going oh i think i may even have a crush on her and you're both you know 24 25 and this is great and she says oh by the way you have to know i'm an android i don't actually have human emotions and you both go ha 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 and a year later you're going she doesn't actually have human emotions <laughs> oh yeah no it's a joke and i've learned to trust the things that people say about themselves as jokes because they're normally incredibly true the um you know yeah i know i don't remember those times uh i could have done anything back then <laughs> just doing too many drugs <laughs> just kidding <laughs> that's why you can't remember what came to to writing savage the challenge for me was i wanted to talk about this stuff that was happening at the time and the feelings and and my sort of sense of frustration or or agony that that nobody could bring themselves to listen um when i was talking not just about death because death is easy enough to understand but about that kind of very long form suffering i wanted to talk about that using comedy to bring people into it but without making light of it without diminishing 
watching how important it was to me. I couldn't make fun of it. I couldn't, I didn't want to make fun of my mum or her suffering. That would have seemed grotesque to me. I know there are some people who can do that kind of comedy very well. Mel Brooks does it with the Holocaust. There are many people who do that. But for me, I couldn't make it light. So I did it like a, the way I, I wrote it was uh, like film where you have a number of still images and they're so close to each other that they look like they run together. So you have the serious and the joke close, closely interchanged so that the whole feeling is, is of lightness. Um, but it goes back and forth between the two rather than trying to make fun of the things that were so sad. But I think that's... Um... You know, the thing that I like best about Savage is that it's genuinely heartwarming. It's genuinely uplifting. It's it's about death. It's about your mum's multiple sclerosis. It's about what it was for you being an embarrassed kid and who you grew up to be. Um... And it's profoundly optimistic. Yeah, I wanted it to be. Um, I'm glad to hear you say that it that it is because, yeah, I wanted people to, I wanted people to cry, but not feel sad. If <laughs> you know what I mean, uh, or not be made sad. I wanted them to feel sad, but not be. Depressed, maybe? I'm not quite sure. There was something very specific I was going for that I can't quite articulate in this moment. I wanted them to cry and walk away feeling better. Maybe. I, yeah, I think that's lovely. Everybody should get to, you know, you, you should get to be sad. You should get to experience emotions and walk away feeling better. Um, what's important is that you experience them. What's important is that the emotions are real. Um, what the beautiful thing about Savage is it feels like connection. It feels like you're reaching up and getting to hold your hand and being taken very, very personally through something huge and meaningful and heartbreaking. And I think that's so powerful. Thank you. There's something very surreal about uh, hearing your voice and then also not quite seeing your face, but seeing my face. It's making me a little bit self-conscious. Um, we should wrap this up relatively soon because I know you have uh, a small child who will probably wake you up at God knows what hour of the morning. Um, but what are you working on at the moment if you're managing to work in the cave? Is the cave inspiring or is it enclosing? Just finished a monstrous introduction for um, George R. R. Martin and um, one of the uh, Song of Ice and Fire sequence novels. I've written an introduction to it. And it's very late, um, mostly because I was actually really enjoying being, having 
doing this monstrous great big reread of George's work, starting with the Game of Thrones, and uh, and feeling that it was work. So, whenever the lockdown got too intense, I was like, "No, I'm going to work now." I had to sit here with this great big George R. R. Martin novel while people that I like are going to betray, be betrayed by people that I don't like and heads are going to be tossed out of windows and awful things are going to happen. Um, but I finally finished that. So pretty soon I actually have to start really working. Um, I have to start making things up and, uh, I did it as a sort of very small experiment. I got to write a Rory Williams scene, a Rory and Amy scene for Doctor Who uh, that went out last week. Arthur Darville filmed it for me in lockdown. Bless his little wonderful cotton socks. And uh, Karen Gillan came in and uh, also recorded a line that you hear right at the end. And that was so much fun, just going, oh, yeah, I can still do this thing. I can still write this thing where people say dialogue and it's nice and it's uplifting and good. So, uh, and I just wrote a poem about life in lockdown um, for brain pickings. Maria Popova, who does uh, oh, brain she's pickings. brilliant. She's such a, like, such a brilliant curator. She's amazing. And um, for the last four years, she makes me write poems for her universe in verse. And this year, um, the theme was What is Life? And I thought that's, that's, a great that's one theme. to start writing. And not living. And... Um, what life feels like. And then I started investigating, trying to understand for myself exactly what a virus is. And finally realizing something that I suppose should have been obvious, which is the reason antibiotics do not work on viruses is viruses are not exactly alive. Antibiotics kill living things. A bacterium is a living thing. The antibiotics will kill it. Viruses are basically pieces of information wrapped up in little protein coats. Um, and they exist on the borders between living and not living. And manage to kind of not exactly be one thing or the other, but they get to be, they get to be information that replicates. And the act of replication sometimes causes strange and peculiar things to happen to the host in which the replication is occurring. And so all of that kind of made it in. I mean, if all of that made it into a poem, I'm looking forward to reading that poem. Uh, somebody says, are you seeing all the comments because they want you to know that all these people are sending you love? Oh, that's so sweet. Everyone here uh, is very lovely. I'm just sorry about not having a face. I'm I sure mean, I, that get a I new can face. Your face. I can imagine your face. I've seen your face before. We can we can animate you maybe later. 
that would be really good. Um, <laughs> if you can have some as a um, sort of something more facey, slightly okay. less out of fuzzy. Um, a couple of people are saying that they have relatives who have MS or similar uh, similar diseases and that my show helped them. Uh, thank you. That's good. I didn't have very much of that when I was growing up. Uh, again, it was something that not many people spoke about or wanted to talk about or would, and I felt weirdly defensive about it growing up as well. I didn't want to expose my mom to people or make her vulnerable to their judgment. So I felt a lot, uh, a lot like I had to kind of protect that part of my life and not talk about it. So it is nice that other people who have had similar experiences are finding my show useful. I'm really glad that that's happening. What was it like for you doing a giant sort of Amazon special? When was it a surprise? Yes. Happened, yes, it was a surprise. It was a massive surprise. It was not what I had expected. I don't, uh, I don't think of myself as particularly marketable. <laughs> um, but it was so. It was simultaneously uh, sort of scary and and wonderful. And I had this kind of doubled vision walking into this big Malthouse theatre with 300 people in the audience and remembering going in in Edinburgh for the first time to do this show in a dingy room at the Free Fringe. Uh, the room didn't have a door, it just had a curtain, so occasionally on a Friday night a, a fight would roll in <laughs> to the back of my show and, and having that in my head and at the same time walking into this theatre with you know, seven cameras and lights and makeup and thinking this will be harder than that dingy back room in the pub because I, I, I need to make these people feel, you know, 300 people in bank seats with big lights and there's camera people running around. I need to make them feel like they're in the room with me and, and yeah. that we're all here together and I need to make sure that I do that without losing the 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 feeling that I want for the show to have and I was I was more worried about about doing it in that bigger room and in front of the cameras that it would lose what I think of as the heart of the show which is being on stage while people are coming in welcoming them welcoming them into my space into my world and and telling them this thing that isn't that nice to hear but making it okay I think you do it magnificently and I'm glad you I'm glad you had the opportunity I'm glad that thank you for giving me the opportunity you helped me get that opportunity I, I only helped a little by by I, I like the fact that the way that I helped was by you interviewing me at the end of Good Omens because you'd interviewed me I started listening to Savage while exercising in the mornings before going in to work. And then I just started raving about how good it was to one of the people from Amazon who, of course, because Amazon comedy were our people, 
they were like, well, we're, we're just about to do an Australian comedy special. What, what is this thing? Where can I listen to it? And I told them. And the next thing I got a call from you saying that they were going to be doing you. And that um, I was delighted to have been a part in that. But I think if it hadn't have happened like that, it would have happened some other way. I think the, the quality of the material is what allowed. Thank you. Thank you so much. I will let you go to bed uh, and I will talk to you again as soon as a person. Fuzziness and um, sending lots and lots of love to all of the people who've been sending ridiculously nice comments.